right, we're live and we're rolling, and this is The Real Venture. I'm your co-host, Peyton. And I am your co-host, Luke, and we are entering the world of business by starting a few companies of our own. So we decided to create this podcast as a platform so that we could ask other successful entrepreneurs the questions that we need answered in order to help our business grow. Every single week, we are joined by CEOs, venture capitalists, artists, co-founders, and influencers, all with one thing in common, they're young entrepreneurs. The only thing I'm gonna need you to do is hit that subscribe button below so you never miss a conversation. Every single Wednesday, Luke and I are going to be right here and we can't wait for you to join us. All right, Marion, thank you so much for, uh, for hopping on today. Why don't you just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks for having me on, Peyton. So I am just an entrepreneur that got started in corporate America, right? So about uh, I graduated in 99 and started working for a couple of corporate gigs, did about seven years in corporate America on the tech side. And then I realized that I wanted a little bit more meaning, I suppose, and a little bit more freedom and trying to kind of, you know, pave my own path. And so for the last gosh, 20 years or so, I've been starting building and selling tech companies. Um, I'm very heavily involved in the cannabis industry now. And I'm also an investor in about 22 companies. Um, so, you know, stay fairly busy and got my parents next door as they're aging, got two young kids and, and a wife. And that's me. There you go. It sounds like you're living the American dream. I am. And I'm, and I'm originally from a little island called Sri Lanka. So my family immigrated to the States when I was eight years old. Um, and yeah, so I guess I'll add to it. It's, I didn't come from a family of entrepreneurs. And so the typical immigrant story, you know, my parents are just working a lot. My brother and I, the whole goal was to get an education and try and make something of ourselves. And um, that was the initial driver behind, you know, where I'm at today, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So like you just said, you didn't come necessarily from an entrepreneurial background, but I want you to think back, what was your first business related idea, thought? Like when were you like, huh, this business stuff is, is kind of cool. Maybe it's something that I should look into. Yeah, so I actually, the first, I'm, I'm a car guy. And while in college, this idea of selling your car online all of a sudden was felt like a novel idea, right? So this is back in the in the 90s. And back then, so I went to KU, I remember I was gonna go and list my car for sale. And back then you had to get an actual ad out in the paper. So you pay by the number of words, there's no photos. And I was like, there's gonna be a better way of doing this. And so a buddy of mine and I launched uh, a website where people can just for free post their cars and photos and descriptions and that was my first kind of step into the world of entrepreneurship. And I was like, ah, oh, this is kind of cool. And uh, so we actually had an exit with it. it now in hindsight, I, I think uh, didn't have the type of exit I thought we should, uh, but you know, it was an exit and that really was the catalyst for the rest of my entrepreneurial years. Did you, um, did you study business in school uh, or, you know, did you kind of, you know, school a hard knock, start to learn business kind of just as you were, you know, moving through your corporate America journey? Yeah. So I was actually an architecture major and a computer science major and a minor in business management. Architecture was probably more of a passion. Computer science was like, I knew I could probably get a job out of college. And the business side was just wanting to know more about it. But I'll tell you for me, 
uh, Peyton, it was really a lot of trial and error. So after that uh, automotive one, I actually launched a, a lifestyle magazine. Um, after I joined Corporate America, I left two years later, started a magazine, and it failed miserably. But I gave everything I had to it, and two, three years later, it failed. And, um, and most of what I learned was just reading the Harvard Business Journal or just reading online you know, articles about startups and entrepreneurs. And so it was a lot of trial and error. And so it took probably way longer than I had hoped to kind of get to wherever it is that I was trying to get to. And so it was a, you know, school of hard knocks. Definitely. Yeah. When, you know, you just said that the magazine company failed, how, what, what happened with it? You know, obviously it was a great learning opportunity. So yeah. what happened and, and what did you, what did you pull out of it? So, you know, the magazine was called 1010 being the best in your personal life and being uh, the best in your professional life. And it was uh, targeted for college age until about, you know, mid thirties, forties. Um, and we thought it was a great concept because it was about self uh, self-help and bettering oneself and so forth. I just didn't have any clue as to, so I, I had learned how to write a business plan, so I did that, but I had no real, I mean, no, you know, background in publishing, obviously, it was just an idea. So how to pitch to investors, no clue how to do that. How to put a marketing strategy together, no clue how to do that. I mean, so, you know, we were behind the eight ball from day one, but I had 18 people that were on staff not paid, mind you, that were just like so passionate about the concept. And we gave it a valiant effort. And ultimately, just I, we couldn't sustain it, right? We all needed to find income to get to that next level and funding to get the company to the next level. And so there you have it. It was just a, that's why I call it a disaster, but it's probably in hindsight, the best the best learning experience I've ever had to this day. Yeah. I mean, if you have, if you have 18 people on staff that are working, you know, you know, essentially pro bono, you know, obviously culture has to be a a massive component of that. Uh, You know, was that something that you set out to, you know, do from day one or did that naturally happen as it was associated with the product? Well, the culture, I would say it was just an extension of how I felt and how I thought. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and really the people that we had brought in, one, they just believed in the concept so much. But, you know, I, I think when you think of leadership and culture, it really just, it's the people that you initially surround yourself with. And you know, do you have the same similar values? Do you think alike? Do you want to treat people the same way? And so it kind of naturally evolved into what, you know, the 1010 Magazine's culture was. And so it was a lot of work hard, play hard, and uh, keep trying and. Like I said, we tried. It just wasn't meant to be. Yeah. So. No, and I think that that is a is a valuable lesson. And you know, you can. Um, I think a lot of entrepreneurs can kind of relate to the fact that hey, sometimes the really good ideas or the great topics or missions of the company sometimes it just doesn't translate into a successful business. And obviously, the sooner you can identify that, the better for for everybody. But at the same time, you need to give it a shot. Sure. And, but I also think, you know, with entrepreneurship and I, and I wholeheartedly believe this, it has a lot to do with timing mm-hmm. as well, right? Like is, is the market ready for it? I think 1010 in hindsight was probably a little too early. Um, but you know, there's a lot of luck, right? And there's a lot of, which is why I think one of my professors used to say, you know, in life, some of it is about what, you know, the rest is who, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, 
I, I think uh, all those hold true. So timing, luck, who you know, how passionate you are. I mean, there's a whole host of things we can talk about, you know, but I don't want to bore your audience or you. At, <laughs> with that. What, what is an example of maybe a business that you have put together that timing, everything aligned perfectly and it was, um, you know, a, a very well-timed entry or, you know, even I guess a, a well-timed exit because that's the other half of this, right? Um, you know, the, the business yeah. continues to grow and, and there's a right time to get out of it. So what, what would be, in a, you know, a win yeah. for you in that regard? So there's been a few, but I, I think, uh, you know, I was involved with a, a real estate uh, app uh, years back. And this is, you know, the real estate side of the world moves pretty slowly, as you know, uh, and especially on the interactive side with the, the agents and so mm -hmm. forth. And so uh, we created an app that basically kind of streamlined. If you're, if I'm a buyer looking to uh, go look at houses, your agent can be like, okay, here are the houses. They put it into this app and then it just plots, you know, so if you're looking at 10 houses, basically based, based on where you're starting, routes the map for you. But more importantly, it lets the sellers know, hey, there's someone showing up in 10 minutes, right? And as soon as the seller, but the buyer, potential buyer leaves, then it notifies them your house is clear to go back in. Because, you know, people back in the day would sit around and wait, yeah. right? Like, oh, the agent's coming and then they have to leave. And then, you know, it's so I, th I think that was a perfect example of the right timing because, you know, it was right as the, the market really needed something innovative like that. And that worked. Uh, and another example would probably be, you know, even though we have an exited um, simplifier, which is the largest now cannabis compliance company, perfect timing was five years ago, right? We started uh, here in Colorado, uh, legalization had just passed and recreational. And, uh, you know, we set out to create uh, a rec tech product that helped licensed operators stay compliant. Um, and while five years later we've grown, we're in 28 states or I, I don't even know now, but, um, you know, it, it's, we serve a very important uh, component of the industry uh, for the licensed operators, but now we're also uh, we got product for government, for banks, for insurance, and so we're you know kind of just getting our tentacles out there now. Yeah, you know, with a with a product like cannabis, I, you know, the one thing that kind of always interests me is there obviously is a lot of red tape and there's a lot of hurdles that you have to jump through. Is that something that yeah. motivates you as an entrepreneur, or is that something that's you know could scare scare you away? So I, I would say it actually motivates me because I think if there's red tape, that basically creates a barrier for entry for mm -hmm. others, right? Um, even, you know, my brother and I were involved in a tequila company. You know, why did we choose tequila? One, I love tequila. But two, it, you know, it tequila for it to be actual tequila has to come from the you know, tequila region, right? Uh, whereas like vodka or anything else, you can just make it wherever, put a label on it and start marketing it. And, and, and not to diminish those guys, I'm just saying it, it just, there's a barrier to entry. Same thing with com compliance. You know, it, um, it's really hard to do what we do. Basically a bunch of lawyers and engineers come together and that's what Simplify is. Uh, you know, you're monitoring all the ever-changing regulations from a state level to local levels, educating people on how to use it through a software product, right? Um, so I personally like barriers to entry and red tape, because that to me is a moat. So if you can crack that code and you're now sitting in the middle of that moat, you figure it out, right? And, and, and again, just to add, I think like timing wise, um, as you know, 
as you probably know, I'm involved in this new dating startup, right? Called Elios. Dating world is going super hot. Uh, you know, you got the tender, Tinder and, and Bumbles and Hinge and all these guys, but all of them are, in my opinion, very kind of like you're swiping photos. Then you have Ilios, which matches you on personality characteristics, right? Like, so where I come from in that world, um, you know, essentially um, numerology and astrology and these things are very important. And now we see here in America, a lot of people are actually gravitating towards that. They understand that. And so timing again, right? I think Ilios is coming into the market at the right time. And so... I can ramble on and on, but I'll, I'll stop there. If, if you're an aspiring entrepreneur and you're looking for a new opportunity, um, you know, what are some ways that you can kind of build some market research? So, for example, if we, if we go to the Ilios route, um, you know, that was something that was being adopted in America. More people were getting into it. Um, obviously, that had to be identified. So what did that process kind of look like? Yeah, so, you know, Ilios is my brother's idea. I just happened to be one of his biggest fans and, and an investor and board member. But... Um, you know, he actually did a lot of that work where he started, when he came up with the concept, he was like, wait a minute, you know, there's so much opportunity in the dating world, but here's my idea. Will it translate over? And so, I, you know, there's plenty of resources, including like universities, um, online, uh, I think like subscription apps where you can actually go and pull data, like how many people, uh, for example, know their birth sign, right? I mean, like I'm a Leo, what we found out is 95% of Americans know their birth sign, right? And that's pretty cool. So it's like data like that. Because you want to validate that, you know, sometimes it could be a passion idea, but if you don't, if you can't validate and justify that the market will follow or will get on board, then you just have a passion project, right? And, and, I, and I'd say, so that initial research is vital, um, you know, talking to even venture capital groups, right? Like, so being where I'm at today, I'm able to pick up the phone, call, you know, some people and be like, Hey, here's an idea. What do you think of this? And talk to friends, just get as much input and feedback. And that's, you know, there's nothing rocket science about it. I suppose it's just really, you know, figuring out is, is this something that people will gravitate towards? Yeah. You know, you, you bring up the VCs. I feel like to a lot of entrepreneurs is kind of scary and it's something that is, <laughs> you know, everybody freaks out about yeah. it because you just hear about people going like, oh, you know, oh, for 40 on Sand Hill Road and it's all, you know, sad and you just hear a million no's, which, right. you know, in, in, in the grand scheme of things, yes, there are way more no's than yes. But, you know, what has kind of yeah. been, and we'll get into your investing side here in a second, but as an entrepreneur, you know, what's kind of your approach to, you know, building an investment in your company um, you know, lining those people up. Obviously, as you have more experience and you've been yeah. in the game longer, it becomes easier and clearer. But, you know, kind of when you were getting started, can you remember some of the challenges that you had? You know, the, I, I, there was just an article that was published on Medium where um, I talked about the word no being the word that you need to get used to as an entrepreneur because mm -hmm. you have to have thick skin, right? I mean, if, and I remember early on, you know, the first hundred no's, I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to just go get a job again and be done with this, right? And, but, and to your point, I remember the first pitch I did, I was nervous as hell and the guy didn't even invest, right? And, and your nervousness translates out mm -hmm. to whoever's listening and it depends on their personality. Sometimes they're much kinder if they realize you're nervous or some people are like, you know, the more seasoned people that don't think they ever have time for anyone new, there's 
they'll probably treat you a little bit more like a jerk than you would want to be treated, right? But that being said, I think, you know, the network, the way I see pitching and investors now versus how I used to see it back then, back then I used to think I need their help. Now I view it as it's an opportunity for someone to make more money in something maybe that they love or they're passionate about, right? And so it's really a mindset. Um, when I approach my friends or investors or VCs or angels, for Ilios as an example, I'm just like, look, man, I've thrown money into this. I think it's a great opportunity. If you want to do it, you should do it. Uh, no pressure. Here's the deck, right? And I think that's one of the fundamental mistakes that entrepreneurs, at least I did early on, because I had no guidance, obviously, was that I would just freak out like, I really want your money. Can you help? You know, because you know, it's like I'm going to uh, start this company and then it's going to be great. So I, I think it's, it's, a mind, it's a mindset and how you pitch it. But uh, when it comes to investors, I, you know, now obviously almost 20 years later, I've got a nice book of folks that I can reach out to and they're very niched. You know, some people love cannabis, some people love something else. And, uh, and when you have that relationship, it's much easier. But I think if you're starting out, you, you know, you really have to leverage your, your family and friends initially, mm-hmm. right? Not to say that they have to invest or they have the money to invest, but be like, because typically, you know, two, three degrees away, you'll be, you know, amazed at how many people I think, you know, would be interested, yeah. right? And, and I think, um, so anyway, I know I'm kind of rambling on, I'm not sure if I even answered your no, question. No, 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 you, you, you definitely did. And I think you hit home kind of something that, that um, you know, I'm, I'm going through right now where, uh, you know, first that initial family round, it, it served two great purposes. Yeah. One, it allowed me to validate our idea, right? Because I had to yeah. simplify the idea all the way down, right? We talk about, we've talked about the mom test on here, being able to explain it to your mom and she understands exactly what you're doing. So one, it was a good exercise yeah. to do that. But two, when the family was able to invest and, you know, kind of get you started, it also kind of built up a little bit of confidence. So now as I have extended out and, and, you know, we're putting together our seed round right now, um, you know, I I have confidence. I'm like, Hey, you know, there are people that believe in it. I'm sure they're my family, but you know, they still had to make a business decision, right? Cause it's, it's, it's money. And so now I kind of realize I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. Hey, you know, this is, this is a thing. And then, and then the second thing I'll add to that is, Initially, I was so freaked out about explaining the idea and what I actually realized going through the family round was they're actually investing in me at the early stage because the idea itself is going to build on itself and the product will you know, eventually become a thing. But right now, it's myself, it's my co-founder, it's our passion for it, it's what we're able to do with the product. So now when I'm you know, pitching to angels yes. and VCs, I'm, I'm selling our team, like I'm selling what we can do. And that yes. gives me more confidence because yes. I know what I'm capable of. The product is a different story. Well, you know, on top of that, I think you, you hit it right on the head there. It gives you a chance to practice your pitch too mm-hmm. with your family, right? So there's no fear factor of like, hey, they love you. You know that they're going to be like, hey, give me some feedback. That's one of the things I used to do is like, you know, my parents had no clue what even pitching was, but I'd be like, tell me what you think, right? And they give you feedback. Uh, but on top of that, you know, you hit something that's really important. People invest in people, right? At the end of the day, you can have the best concept, but speaking for myself solely, when I decide to invest in something, it's because of that team or that person. Obviously, the concept matters, uh, but, it, you know, I, 
I can go off about this, but I, if you want, I can finish that thought. But it's like, to me, it's, it's something that I like, right? Or I think that there's market for, but it's, it's typically about, at least there has to be a two founder uh, team because I've always found that a single founder is really hard because when I think back to my old days and I had no one else to bounce ideas off of, I would want to talk constantly about whatever company, right? And uh, having a confidant, a partner in crime to constantly be thinking and strategizing, I think is so important. But end of the day, comes down to the person. Do I really think they have the passion, persistence, right? Uh, and the perseverance really to, um, to make it happen. And that's, that's my philosophy. Yeah. So, you know, kind of moving into the, to the more investor side of, of your mind and your experience, when you're looking at co-founders, are you really evaluating their different skill sets and how they complement each other? Or, you know, are you just kind of looking at, you know, just their, their capabilities individually, I guess. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. No, no, it makes absolute sense. So yes, I am looking to see how well the two, like when I see co-founders, when one is pitching, right, call it the CEO, and then the CEO can easily transition and fill in gaps, mm -hmm. right? Or vice versa, like, or even if it's not CEO, CEO, just two founders talking, like you are looking for that chemistry because I, I think, look, you know, I'll, I'll use myself as an example. I am not detail oriented, right? I live above in a, I'm dreaming of stuff. I'm thinking of stuff. Um, so I need someone who's very detail oriented that can execute on or take my ideas and go make it happen. Because what I can do, you know, and typically that's what CEOs do, right? You, you dream, you bring smarter people than yourself around you. Uh, you know, you set some guidelines, you set the culture, you set the vision, you raise money, you do the PR stuff. Um, so you need someone that's kind of like, you know, who loves doing that. Mm -hmm. And then you have the people that don't want to do that, but want to do all the getting into the weeds, pun intended, yep. right? I'm the cannabis industry. And so, uh, so that is something, you know, for me personally, I'm, I'm always looking at when I'm looking at founders, Yeah, which is why it goes back to what I was saying, a single founder is a really tough one because, you know, very seldom are you going to get, I was a single founder early on and I did everything mm -hmm. and I would want to talk to everyone and no one really cared. Right. And it, it's tough. Yeah. So no. And, and, and I completely agree. And I, you know, you kind of just made me think of my relationship with my co-founder where I'm the person that likes to talk and dream and I have all these crazy ideas. And then yeah. Luke is over there elbowing yeah. me like, Hey, that's not actually possible. Like that is, <laughs> that is physically not possible. And I was like, Okay, let's let's tweak the dream a little right. bit. Right, right. So it's yeah. um, and I, I think it's just it's just you know that flow that yin and yang, whatever you want to call it between founders. I think so so vital. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So when you know we talked a little bit, kind of going going back to the to the magazine. Obviously, that was a a failure, if if you will. Have you had any other ones? Um, you know, or, or as every, you know, either, whether it's a win or a loss, are there learning opportunities from everything? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I had a, I had a company that you would call a soft landing. Basically, you know, it wasn't, everyone got their money out, but like, and a little bit of money, but wasn't anything great. Right. I mean, the soft landing is essentially like company's not going to go anywhere. And so you're getting an exit for it. But, um, I think for the most part, you know, every, venture I've been involved in either as a founder or as an investor, 
um, I'm more of a hands-on board member or investor in the sense of I won't be if you don't want me to be, but I want to be helpful, right? So if you call me and you're like, hey, can you make an intro? What do you think of this? I'll certainly do that. But I think every venture you are learning something, mm -hmm. right? Even now after having done so many, um, I am still learning and I don't think I'm ever going to stop learning. And, and I think um, really just evaluating whether a company is a success, whether it's multi-million dollar exit, billion dollar exit, I have a buddy that sold his company for a few million, right? And we're in a, we're doing a company together now and he's still learning, right? And so, and he's in his fifties. And so I think generally speaking, if one stops learning, you, you got a problem anyway, but you know, um, as an entrepreneur, you have to be, because it's also evolving. The market's evolving, technology's evolving. And um, so. Are you, a, are you a big reader? You know, I used to be, I'm embarrassed to say recently, no. Because I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old and I'm sitting on five boards and, um, you know, investing in 22 companies. And it's, by the time I go to lay down and read a, bed, a book, man, I am just zonked yeah. out, right? Um, but I do read during the day. I mean, unfortunately now it's not the type of reading I yeah. want to do. It's a lot of legal, legal narrative and, you know, all sorts of emails. But uh, I used to be, yes, I, I mean, avid, avid, all around business. And like I said, Harvard uh, Business Journal was like my go-to for many years for everything and TechCrunch and things of that nature. Yeah, because I guess what I was trying to get at there is, you know, I feel like everybody is going to consume new education material, whether it's in the form of books or blogs or podcasts or audio. You know, there, there are so many different mediums that you can get in. And I think what's really important is identifying what works best for you and then trying to for consume sure. as much volume of content as you can. Um, you know, like for me specifically, and, and we joke about it a lot on this podcast, I can't spell for some reason. It, so for me, reading, <laughs> physically reading a book is my best thing because it helps yeah. me continue to improve my spelling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I same here, man. I mean, I type so fast these days. I'm sure someone who doesn't know me was like, does this guy know how to write? Because, you know, same thing. It's just like, you know, you're shortening yeah. everything. But yeah, it's a, uh, it's a, it's an interesting journey. Yeah, it, it is. So, it, you know, as a, as a young entrepreneur evaluating new opportunities, what do you, what kind of, you know, what are some markets that you see potential going forward? What, what areas are, you know, maybe you're not in yet, but you're kind of excited about and you think have a lot of really cool, you know, has some cool potential. Yeah. You know, so I've focused so heavily now in cannabis that it's still an emerging market and it's still young and new. Um, you know, I would say 80% of my investments are in cannabis at this point. Um, outside of that, you know, something like Ilio's a dating app. So for me, I don't, I'm more of an opportunist, right? In the sense of like, now I know that compliance, going back to your original questions, anything where there's a moat, something that's defensible, like barrier to entry, like if someone, I'm not even thinking about ideas, but if someone comes and goes, hey, here's a concept and here's why this is going to work. I'm like, oh, so, you know, it's not, I'm not evaluating different markets and industries going like, I want to be in there. Like, so I kind of go where the wind blows and really where the opportunity lies. Um, so I'm, I'm not that sophisticated of an investor, unfortunately, in that sense. I know some people focus on fintech, right? Or medical software or something like that. I just don't. Um, 
right now, because of the nature of what I do and being immersed in cannabis, that's where a lot of my knowledge is at this point. So I you know certainly pay attention to those opportunities, but uh, I don't have a really cool answer for you on that. Well, one, no, I mean, you know, it's kind of funny that, that you said you're not a sophisticated investor, but not having a, not having a particular, you know, having an open mind is a form of being sophisticated because you are kind of, you know, you, you know a little about a lot in that case. And when a new yeah. opportunity comes up, you're like, Oh, that's interesting. And then maybe you just do a little bit yeah. of due diligence on your side, but then you're right in the game and you recognize, you know, at its core, every single industry has the same framework of opportunity and business strategy. And, you know, there's obviously nuances, yes. but you know, you being yes. open to everything kind of allows you to move in and out where the opportunity is. Absolutely. And and now at this point, I also have lots of friends that, you know, if, if someone calls me with a fintech you know, opportunity, I'll be like, I'll call a buddy of mine. Like, Hey, what do you think of this? Right. And not that I rely entirely on their perspective, but um, it's always nice to be able to get some background, some fundamental understanding uh, of, an, of an area that I might not have uh, exp experience in. So that helps mm -hmm. as well. But yeah, generally speaking, that's how I've been <laughs> in most parts of my life. I'm just kind of like, you know, just hanging around and just, uh, you know, doing things. And you're just here for a good time. Yeah. Yeah. That's me, man. I, I, you know, I was just in Vegas for the biggest cannabis conference, right? And it's great to see people in person again. You know, there's a lot of people there. And it's like, I think we were invited to like 60 parties. And I'm 46 now. I'm, I went to a lot, you know, but whew, it's, uh, but the joke was like, I'm still the same old dude, just kind of hanging around a little older, yeah. right? And so that's, I just think life is too short to take oneself too seriously. And, and, uh, stress out. I stress sometimes, obviously everyone does, but for the most part, I'm just, just carefree and easy going. I'm trying to keep no, that. Light. That's, that, that's a good thing. You know, kind of moving to, I, I guess more of a, a serious question then since you know, you're, you're so easy going, let's say uh, Kansas invites you to come back to uh, give a commencement speech. What, what are like two pieces of advice that you want to pass on to the kids sitting out there that, you know, maybe are looking to, you know, build a career that's similar to yours? I think the first thing I would say is really focus on yourself, right? As a person, like make sure it is what you want to do. Cause I think oftentimes people, so my initial driver to be an entrepreneur was I love solving problems. And I realized very quickly that corporate America just it wasn't fulfilling for me. I get, I must have ADD. I get very bored. If you give me one job to do, I'm just like, I can't, I, I'll get it done. And then I'm twiddling my thumbs. Like it's not going to work. Um, no, I would say like really figure out who you are as an individual. Like I, I was a late bloomer. So even when I came out of college, I had no idea who the hell I was to be quite honest. Yes. Right. So know what you want, know where you want to be. Um, I think that's really important. And then if you're going to go down the path of entrepreneurship, going back to that patience thing, I think patience is a virtue all the way around entrepreneurs, especially, you know, our personality says that we want to get things done and do it now and let's boom, boom, boom. Gotta have patience, man. I, I learned that the really <laughs> hard way. Um, you know, and that's, that's why I say I have this three P things, right? Passion, patience, and then persistence, right? If you want something bad enough, you can get it. And unfortunately this is America, right? I mean, if you, there's so many cool stories of people, you know, from nothing to whatever. And success, by the way, is very relative. 
Um, you know, for me, I think I'm the wealthiest, more successful person because of the people I have around me, right? Um, obviously, money helps because then you can go and do some fun stuff. But so it, it's, it's those things I would say. And then, you know, build your network from early on. I never did that. Uh, and, and I, so all the, my network was just genuine friendship, right? Which, by the way, it translated really nicely when you were trying to build your network. Because I think, you know, these days there's a lot of kind of superficial, surface level like friendships, in my opinion, that, and these are people that's just trying to build a, you know, network. I'm like, that's great. But if you just met me three years ago and you just said hi and you were really nice and then, you know, really there was no communication after that. If you email me, sure, I'll probably remember you. And if I can help you, I would. But I think being genuine in, in, and intentional in the things you do really matter. Um, so those are the two things. Network and know yourself and be ready for patience and learn the word no. <laughs> yeah, and learn the word no. That's, <laughs> that's the key word. <laughs> yep, that's for sure. You know, you kind of you kind of touched on it a little bit with the you know know yourself and and, and learn yourself. But you know, we we got to ask the question: Why are you an entrepreneur? <laughs> yeah. So you know, I, I kind of touched on that. For me, it really was. Um, you know, it's embarrassing to say, but a lot of it was. I knew that I needed to make money at a different level than. I could have in a corporate way, right? Um, and I did the math. I'm just saying, okay, I keep doing this, climbing the ladder. Nothing against it, but I, I wanted to, you know, just pour my heart into something. And because, you know, that's the I think entrepreneurship is kind of like gambling, mm -hmm. right? Because it's like you can lose it all, but you could also hit it big, right? And for me, I was just like, I love everything about what I'd seen, what I'd heard, what I'd learned. I'm like, I think I was willing to take that shot. And secondarily, I love solving problems, right? And I love a challenge. For me, it's like, if you tell me you can't do something, because I'm not usually like a very competitive person, but if you tell me you can't do something, I'm like, hmm, maybe I'll go prove you wrong. And as a matter of fact, I remember when I first started, uh, a family friend, I overheard him telling my parents, you know, you're, so I'm the second of two, like my brother's like super genius, like he's a, aerospace oil and gas engineer and i was just like yeah a mediocre student and i remember this guy telling my parents like yeah i don't the second one we're a little worried about yeah. right and i was just like huh. and i remember that being a very big catalyst because you know wanted to prove someone wrong yeah um well there's many drivers but those are a few key ones for me that that motivated me. Yeah. And, you know, we were kind of talking about this uh, before we started recording, but I love asking that question because everybody has a different answer, but at its core, it's the same. They yes. like challenges, they like solving problems, yes. and they want to be their own boss. <laughs> yes. And, you know, I'll add one last thing. I, I think, you know, the, the corporate landscapes change quite a bit now from, I think, like when my, your parents or my parents, even, even when I started, where people work for a company for a long yeah. time, right? And so you work for a company for 10 years, then maybe you get three weeks of vacation, right? And I think the beauty of entrepreneurship is like, you know, I lost all my hair and went gray early on just because I was so stressed <laughs> trying to build these companies. But now if I wanted to be on a beach for three months, I can, right? Or if I wanted to, it's, so point being, it's freedom, mm -hmm. right? It's not so much about the money, uh, for me, aside from taking 
making sure I can take care of my parents, but it was about the freedom of what it can, you know, a good company can extend uh, for us. Yeah. So. I mean, Tim, Tim Ferriss has an incredible book called the four hour work week. And in it, he yes. literally this, this paragraph, I think about it all the time. You know, he makes the statement that, um, a man that makes $60,000 a year, but can spend the money how he wants is infinitely richer than somebody who makes 500,000 a year and doesn't get to do what they want to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and if you're working 20 hours a day or whatever it is, right? I mean, entrepreneurship is not easy. You're working a lot. But, you know, you sometimes sacrifice some time hoping for more in the future. But to your point, if you're making half a million bucks, but you don't get to spend it the way you want or when you want. Eh, yeah. What's, not what's, that great. what's the point? Absolutely. Well, yeah. Marion, thank you so much for, for coming on today. Where can people, you know, check you out, social media, maybe they want to learn a little bit more about some of the businesses you're involved with. Where can sure. they look? So, uh, you know, now at this old age, I'm not much on social media, but you can find me on LinkedIn. That's probably the, the one I use the most. Uh, so it's, you know, Marion, Mary Thassen, um at LinkedIn. There so, you go. Well, Marion, thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me, man. It's been it's been fun. You have a nice, easy flow of conversation. There we go. That's what that's what nice. we shoot for. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, if you want to continue this discussion, follow us on our social media, our Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebooks will all be in the description of this episode. Hop on there, shoot us a DM, hit us up with whatever concerns, questions, comments that you guys have. We'd love to continue building that community on there. Next, subscribe to wherever you're listening to this, iTunes, Spotify, Google, Amazon, Overcast, you name it, we got it. And the only other thing I'm going to add is as you're subscribing to those platforms, hop on there, give us rates and reviews, especially on Apple Podcasts, five-star ratings, and a uh, and, and a comment go a really long way. Helps us continue to, to climb up the charts and you know continue to, to spread this to to all corners of the world and allow us to continue to bring on great guests. We really appreciate you guys for everything and we're excited to see you next week.